You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I'm going to be your uh, strung out host, Abraham. And I I will be your bloodshot eyed host, Shane. This is a psychology podcast. We like to talk about psychology things. One of those psychology things is what happens when you don't get any sleep, which is our topic today. Yes, we've talked about this before. Also, sleep is one of those weird things where sleep is something that requires it's an active process. So it is technically a behavior. That is a fact, actually. Yeah. So fun, fun thing that I've learned about, like studying sleep in the last couple of years is like when people talk about it, it's like they talk about it like sleep is a reinforcer and it is not. It is a behavior. Rest is your reinforcer. Yes. There is an experience that comes with it. Sort of like the experience of relief when you eat something when you're hungry or when you go to the bathroom when you've been really needing to go to the bathroom for a long time. Mm -hmm. Or like if you want to avoid life and you just sleep for a while, that's fine too. Naps, Naps are great for avoidance behavior. But one of the most common experiences that people have around sleep is the inability to sleep. So let's talk a little bit about insomnia. We've got some questions to answer around this. We are going to ask, what is insomnia? How does that apply to people? What is the experience of insomnia? And we're going to dispel a couple of myths around this. So I want to start by getting into what insomnia actually is. It's important. You've probably heard the term. You've probably experienced this at some point in your life because a lot of people do. Yeah. But insomnia is essentially a common sleep disorder that includes difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, getting back to sleep, or waking too early. So I would imagine that if you are somebody who does sleep, you've probably experienced one of those things at one point in time. Yeah, the sort of the three main categories in there, I think, that you already mentioned is just sleep onset, sleep interruptions, and being able to get back to sleep if woken up. Yeah, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff. Cool. And also sleep maintenance. There's sleep maintenance oh, within cool. that, too. Great. Yeah. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, this disorder can be very impactful for people. We've talked about before and is relatively intuitive for most. The less sleep you have, the more likely you're going to experience those adverse effects. You're going to feel tired. A lot of people who experience actual insomnia will have changes in mood. There's diminished work performance, impacts on overall health and well-being, stress, that sort of thing. So it is a wide-ranging issue, and that's why we keep talking about it, because it's so important, but we have never actually delved into insomnia specifically. You'll find that there are symptoms of insomnia that include things like difficulty falling asleep, Waking up during the night, like we talked about, waking up too early, like poor, poor Ralph Roberts from Insomnia by Stephen King, (laughs) not feeling well rested after a night's sleep, or even daytime tiredness or sleepiness. Those are a couple things that you might experience. Irritability, depression, anxiety, fight club disorder. (laughs) <laughs> yeah the, the mechanic i think or the mechanist that's what it was with the, christian bale yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he says he hasn't slept in a year or something like that mm-hmm. and then gets really really skinny which is not what i think it would be the normal effect of not sleeping for a year not eating for a year would produce that yeah actually yeah just to just to clarify that he he in real life only drank a cup of black coffee and ate an apple a day that's what he su- sustained on not recommended by doctors Yes, he also did permanent damage to his body as a result of that. Yeah, like kidney, liver damage, I think, something like that. And then he went on to play Chaney, where uh-huh. <laughs> he was in the movie Vice, where he put on just a lot yep. of weight. So, uh-huh. Yeah, he's wild. More symptoms. Difficulty paying attention, focusing on tasks or remembering things. Increased errors or accidents. You mean accidents like car accidents? Is that what kind of accidents we're talking about here? 
Yeah, probably. Okay. I would imagine. Maybe also incontinence type accidents mm-hmm. or yeah, you know, knocking things, things over. <laughs> so many accidents. <laughs> and importantly, one that I definitely have been around is the experience of ongoing worry about sleep and lack of sleep. So you're not sleeping well. The next best thing is to worry about not sleeping well. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like the worst. Like, so you're not, you're already not sleeping because you're anxious. Right. So then now you're anxious about not sleeping and it just, it just, now you're like hyper-focused on sleeping. It just becomes this whole to do yeah. really. It's a big vicious cycle. It's awful. So now some studies indicate that anywhere between 10 and 30% of adults live with chronic insomnia, where some other studies range anywhere between 50 and 60% of adults. Now, the reason these stats are so difficult to pin down is because of a couple different factors, right? People actually understanding what insomnia is, because there's a lot of people that misunderstand what insomnia is. Having some kind of sleep norm comparisons, because a lot of times people will say you need the eight hours of sleep, but that's not always true for everybody. So like, there's a lot of different things that kind of influence these stats, but uh, for a conservative estimate, 10 to 30% is probably a good measure or a good kind of accounting for what, what people experience. All right. So quick myth to dispel. One of my favorite things to do mm-hmm. is insomnia is not a no sleep disorder, meaning it doesn't mean that you never sleep. It means it is a highly disruptive sleep disorder. So it impacts falling asleep and maintaining sleep. And so many folks with insomnia do get sleep. Matter of fact, all of them get some amount of sleep, but they find routines around sleep difficult. Right. And they may experience varying levels of those symptoms that we talked about, which we're going to get into a little bit more about this, too. So I think the misconception is people think that people with insomnia just literally never sleep. Right. And that's and that is that's not sustainable. Yeah. We're, and we're going to talk about that, what that looks like, too, because we're going to talk about we're going to revisit an old friend, an old sleep friend later. But when we talk about this, the, the people can literally not survive by not sleeping. So we have to get some sleep somewhere. And this is just really a lot of difficulty with sleeping. So let's talk about kind of what causes this and who is impacted by this. So most often insomnia is going to impact older adults. So you're going to find that as you get older, you're going to, you might have some more issues with sleep. And this is due to a few factors. This is not just because you're older, right? It's included changes in activity, changes in health status, You might be taking more medications as you get older, and those can contribute to insomnia. There's a lot of different factors, and we're going to get a little bit into each one of those and kind of how they interrupt sleep in a little bit. And for some demographic stuff, just talking about, as you mentioned, um, older adults is where it largely impacts, but children and teenagers may experience insomnia. However, it may be more likely due to bedtime resistance or changes in routine, stuff that's not necessarily like they couldn't sleep, but that they're put in a situation or they put themselves in situations where the sleep hygiene, I guess, is not occurring the way that it needs to. Think about this too. Like, you know, when you talk about adjustment disorder, like adjustment disorder is simply a disorder that results in like your life circumstances. It's a temporary disorder that eventually goes away because your life circumstances are just tough in that moment and they're a little bit more difficult than normal. And this is kind of like when your sleep routines change and all that, then of course you're not going to get good sleep. And when my chiropractor adjusted my spine and I couldn't walk for two weeks, that was an adjustment disorder. <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> that's my, my dad joke of the episode. Or I guess that's, that's a term that's, that's become <laughs> like, problematic. That's my, my dumb joke of the episode. I call it that a silly joke. Yeah. Can we say silly, S- jokes? silly joke? That's better. Now, when we look at this there to kind of illustrate this further, the highest risk of insomnia, the demographic includes women because sleep is a man's privilege. That's right. 
Ah, over 60 because sleep is a youth privilege. <laughs> also correct. Young men, you get to sleep. Sweet. Yep. Winning cool, so far. Cool. If you have a mental health disorder or physical health condition, that's going to get in the way. So if you're healthy and you're mentally stable, then you're not, you're, you're, then sleep is just fine. If you have increased stress, if you have a lack of a regular schedule and heredity, right? All of those things can contribute to poor sleep or insomnia related symptoms. So a lot of privilege equals sleep. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. All those things fall into that category. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if you have a nine to five, you have good genetics, you don't stress, you don't have a mental health disorder or a physical disorder, you're young and you're a dude, you're yeah. going to sleep just fine. So basically young, young white men, un, well, at least under 60. This is not the part of the episode where we talk about the problem with like collecting demographic information and studying and like identifying different disorders and like different gender norms and stuff like that. We won't do that now. Right. That's not the time. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So how do we know if someone has insomnia? Well, in order to assess and evaluate for insomnia, doctors conduct a physical examination and they may ask you to keep a sleep diary for several weeks to record sleep patterns. And for something more formal, someone may undergo sleep tests at a sleep center to identify patterns of sleep that are difficult to observe or record because we are very bad at collecting behavior data on ourselves when we are sleeping because we are sleeping and not yes, not doing other things. So Yes, and there's so much more that goes into sleeping than just laying down and closing your eyes, right? So, yeah. I mean, there are brain patterns and brain waves that are worth measuring when it comes to like different types and levels of sleep, which we talked about before. Side note, I actually do have to go do a formal sleep study here soon. Oh. If I remember, I'll try and report back on what that was like. Is it for insomnia? It's not for insomnia. It is for, well, just other things that have gone on, but... Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like get into your HIPAA stuff. We're <laughs> yeah. in the age of HIPAA, so we don't need to share. We don't need to share. <laughs> so typically there are two major classes of insomnia. And so this is what they're usually diagnosed as either primary or secondary insomnia. You might hear different pages and different doctors describe insomnia as either acute, chronic, transient. Obviously you want the, the cute one because it's cuter than the others, but yeah. with acute insomnia, the sleep challenge really only lasts for a short period of time, often less than a month. Chronic insomnia may last for greater length than time, like more than a month and may result in major health effects. And then transient just kind of like, will come, come and go as it pleases. But I think just for the sake of like, kind of what the, the, the common nomenclature is, let's talk about primary and secondary insomnia specifically. Now, acute, chronic, and transient sound like they could be types of weed also and may have the opposite effect. It might be helping with the insomnia. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but yes, the sorry, I guess I guess I get more than one silly joke this episode. I am here for it. Okay. The primary insomnia suggests that sleep issues are not directly linked to another health condition, which, as we mentioned, they might be. But this means that all medical conditions have been ruled out and your sleep issues are solely a result of having insomnia. Whatever that might be, whatever is going on, the etiology is not because you have some other medical condition that is making it difficult for you to sleep. And I'm just trying to think of some examples of this might be something like if you're in a lot of pain, for example, then if you move in your sleep, that might flare up some kind of issue you're having. The pain wakes you up and then you are therefore not getting very much sleep because every time you move in your sleep, you're woken up by the the pain. That would be not primary insomnia. Right. Because there's another known medical issue that is resulting in your lack of sleep. That would actually be secondary insomnia, right? So your sleep troubles 
are actually a result of something like asthma, heartburn, cancer, medication, like those types of things can actually cause secondary insomnia because there is some cause that's disrupting your sleep. I personally have to keep a bottle of Tums next to my night, like on my nightstand, because I get such bad heartburn in the middle of the night that it'll wake me up. You've got Tums dependent sleep disorder. I do. Apparently <laughs> I do. It's real bad, man. Like it's like, like I could eat anything, but my esophagus is like, what the hell are you doing? Oh man, that sucks. I'm sorry. This is aging. Isn't, isn't aging beautiful? Aging is just, it's so much fun. By the way, <laughs> is having kids a secondary insomnia? I feel like it's primary. I feel oh, okay. like it's its own. Th- I feel like it's its own thing. It's like David <laughs> S. Pumpkins. Maybe that's, a, maybe it's a tertiary insomnia is having children. <laughs> We we just invented a new category of insomnia. You're welcome, world. Mm-hmm. Didn't have enough of I insomnia out there. See, yeah. we, pioneers, pioneers here on the, why we do what we do. All right, so we're gonna return. We we billboarded this. We're returning to it. This is the the several subcategorization of insomnia or categorizations plural of insomnia that are worth talking about. So as we mentioned, insomnia is not just someone who hasn't slept for days on end because it's not. Again, there's like a record for how long someone can go without sleep. Most people who have insomnia, that's just like highly disturbed sleep. So it's not good quality. There's low, low amounts, not enough sleep mm-hmm. rather. And so insomnia takes several different forms based on the presenting concern. So as I mentioned, there was sleep onset, sleep maintenance, mixed insomnia and paradoxical insomnia. So I'll talk about those. Then we can sort of trade off. Yeah. I think it's good. The first one is the sleep onset insomnia. And the word onset here kind of gives it away, right? This refers to struggles with initially falling asleep or getting back to sleep. And so this is the onset of sleep, if you will, transitioning from a wakeful state to a sleeping state. And this is one that I hear a lot. I'm not sure how common this is. Did you find that this is uh, where this is in level of commonness? They, I didn't really find those stats. It was it was really difficult to find that because all the reports were so they they varied so much. Okay, and we can I guess mention here Shane is primarily responsible for doing the research on this one. So thank you for putting this all together. Anytime, anytime. So anyway, as just as we we're saying this, the sleep onset. This is what I hear a lot of people talk about is that it takes them a long time to fall asleep. This is also one where again. The people who haven't formally been diagnosed, who haven't done a sleep study or been formally evaluated for this, it seems to me that it would be hard to know how long it takes you to fall asleep a lot of the time Yeah, if you were sleeping. Because so without throwing this person under the bus, there's someone I know who I have been around enough to know <laughs> that <laughs> when they fall asleep and they're like, oh, it took me 11 hours to fall asleep last night. I'm like, really? Because I heard you like snoring 15 minutes after you went to bed. <laughs> so, right. Unless you wake snore, I'm fairly confident that you were asleep. <laughs> and maybe it didn't feel like you were asleep because you woke up and it felt like you'd just been awake the whole time. Seems like you were definitely asleep. For me, like I sleep onset has never been an issue. Like I could literally sleep anywhere. And I think that's maybe like from playing in bands and stuff and having to sleep no matter where you're at. Like right? you have to be able to do that. So like sleep onset is like never been a problem for me. So I'm yeah. very thankful for that. Yeah. Same here. And also thankful for it. Sorry. I don't mean it to sound like I'm accusing people who have sleep onset issues as not that being the case. It's just one where I think unless you've been formally diagnosed with this, it's hard to know. I think a lot of the times. But that might not be the case because people who are like alert the whole time, I think you're pretty clear that you've been alert the whole time. But also, if yeah. you are one of those people who drifts in and out of sleep without really noticing, then you might feel like you're alert the whole time. So who knows? 
I know this is kind of a sidebar with, with what we're talking about, but this this speaks to the idea though that like when we talk about collecting data on sleep, this is why it's so difficult because sleep is a transition state. It's not like a clear this is when I'm asleep, right? Not yeah. always. And so like, this is where like sleep onset becomes an issue of like, well, sleep onset, what does that look like? Okay. So how long have you been laying in bed? Have you been laying in bed for 30 minutes and having a hard time? What else are you doing? Are you, is your sleep? There's a lot of stuff within that that you kind of have to account for. It can't just be, I can't fall asleep. There's got to be more to it. Yeah. So there's also sleep maintenance insomnia. And this is when we talk about this type of insomnia, we're staying asleep or waking up too early is a problem. And so like when you read Stephen King's insomnia and they show Ralph Roberts kind of waking up earlier and earlier and earlier every night, he has no problem getting to sleep, but it's always that he's waking up earlier and he can't get back to sleep. So it ends up being the sleep maintenance thing where he's waking up at 3 a.m. And that's kind of what this is like. It's like maybe you are somebody who goes to sleep at night and can go to sleep really well, but can't stay asleep. Or you wake up multiple times in the night. You wake up and you go back to sleep, wake up and go back to sleep, wake up and go back to sleep, right? Those are the types of things we talk about with sleep maintenance insomnia. I think this one's probably fairly common with people who use alcohol in extremely high amounts, possibly other controlled substances. Yeah. And then also people who have kids. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right. As I mentioned, mixed insomnia, this is a combination of issues with the onset or maintenance. So it, it can be either or both of those. Yeah. And then you've got paradoxical insomnia. And this refers to perceptions of your amount of sleep. You may feel like you sleep more than you actually did. And so that's kind of or vice versa. You may think that you sleep more than you actually did. Like there's this kind of like it, nothing matches up. Right. Like you've got these like two conflicting like you're feeling one way. The amount of time is not quite right. And there's just some weird paradoxes going on. So that's kind of what happens with paradoxical insomnia. Interesting. So this is someone who's like. Oh, I slept great last night. And they're like, oh, you only sleep for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Which oh. is like, I I probably suffer from that because I could sleep for like four hours and feel great. Okay. Interesting. But to be fair, I will say the reason I can't be diagnosed with insomnia is because it's better explained by hypomania. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's great, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Hypomania. <laughs> All right. So we mentioned a few of these already, but sort of the causes of insomnia. There's stress as being one, work or travel schedule, poor sleep habits, and poor sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we talked about, we did our episode on 10 ways to ruin your sleep. If you follow that list, that sort of list of thing, of poor sleep hygiene, essentially, that is a good way to get insomnia. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 for sure <laughs> eating too much late at night oftentimes right before going to bed again that's right from that playlist there mental health disorders can be correlated with and or related to the the cause of these medications as you are describing medical conditions there's like chronic pain we talked about asthma gerd get gerd g-e-r-d <laughs> and then uh sleep related disorders remember, we remember those commercials about restless leg syndrome right and then caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, basically the substances that you would use. Now, I'm one of those people who can drink a, a cup of coffee before going to bed and just fall right asleep and just have really fast dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I drink coffee. I drink coffee and I go to sleep so fast. Yeah. No, coffee <laughs> really does not like it makes me feel happy in the morning, but it, it, it has never given me the experience of wakefulness. Not until I've had so much that I'm at risk of like toxic levels of caffeine. You know, it's funny, the longer that we do this show, the more and more I realize you and I are pretty much the same person. We have a lot in common. Like, 
Like the ba- we could drink all the coffee in the world. We read research for fun. We like things that like are kind of considered in the social norm lexicon, like kind of dorky. Like it's great. I love it. We both love music. We share music all the time. It's really wonderful. This is true. True stories. It's just mustard. That's where we deviate so hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's the hard no for me. That's right. <laughs> Along the branch of evolution where we divided was on mustard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that puts us in two different kingdoms, apparently. So now if if insomnia is left untreated, some people might find themselves at risk for long term physical illness or mental illness, both of which can result in a reduction of the quality of life of some folks. And we've and we've talked about that a little bit. We talked about that in the how to ruin your sleep, and we talked about like some of the neural neurological degradation that goes along and some of the physical ailments that come along with this. But the question still comes down to when does insomnia actually become insomnia? Because insomnia is often defined as being separate from these mental health concerns, as separate from these physical health concerns. So when is it solely insomnia that we're looking at? And it's not just bad sleeping habits or something else. Well, according to our trusty DSM-5, here are the official criteria. And here's how you know if you have insomnia. Also called the DSMV. Yeah, so perfect. This is this is the definition. You've probably been wondering this whole time. Do I have insomnia? Does what I do count as insomnia? We're going to tell you right now. I'm going to preamble it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. But um, we already have. All right. <laughs> so I've got a bunch of letters of the alphabet just to put them in order and no for, not for any particular reason. And so we'll start with the first one. We'll say A, because it comes first mm-hmm. in the alphabet in case you didn't know. This is defining insomnia, a predominant complaint of dissatisfaction with sleep quantity or quality associated with one or more of the following symptoms, difficulty initiating sleep or difficulty maintaining sleep. So that's one of the criteria. Yep. Another criterion is B, sleep disturbance causes clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, educational, academic, behavioral, or other important areas of functioning. So right now we've got, you've got a complaint about falling asleep or staying asleep and it's causing you stress. Yeah. You, you're reporting. So a lot of this is right now still subjective and self-report mm-hmm. that it's sort of like, well, yes, this is, I'm unsatisfied with it and I'm feeling like it's affecting my life. That's just sort of, yep. But now we're getting into the, the hard stuff. C sleep difficulty occurs at least three nights per week. Okay. So now we have an objective criteria, although we haven't defined sleep difficulty yet. So D is also that sleep difficulty is present for at least three months. So you're having these three nights a week that you're struggling with sleep and it's happening for at least three months. And there's, so now you've got some like timelines for this. Now, an important one here is E is that the difficulty occurs despite adequate opportunity for sleep. So it's not just that people were keeping you up that like external factors that are very clearly out of your control or for some other reason, you just weren't having an opportunity to sleep. That's not why you're experiencing insomnia. You could have been asleep or you had the opportunity to be asleep, but something was keeping you up. I think that's probably like the most important criterion here is that like when you really think about this, you have the opportunity, you're just not able to, right? Yeah. That's that's really a problem. Yeah, it does seem now, like that needs now, to be clearly it, right, <laughs> defined. Yeah, right. Now, F says insomnia is not better explained by and does not occur exclusively during the course of another disorder. So like essentially like narcolepsy, right? Like you have narcolepsy and you're just passing out at random. Like that's a different type of disorder. So uh, insomnia and this concern of insomnia has to happen kind of isolated from these other things is what this says. 
Then we have G, it is not attributable to a physiological effect of a substance, so drug abuse, medication, that sort of thing, which we mentioned. Yep, and then H is that a coexisting mental disorder and medical condition does not explain the issue. So like you can say medical rule out here. So essentially what this all comes down to, this diagnostic criterion, is that you're having trouble falling asleep, you're having trouble staying asleep, it's causing you stress, it's in lasting for at least three months and it's happening about three nights per week, and that's with the opportunity to sleep. So parents, you do not have insomnia. And it's not. <laughs> that's right. If it's due to kids. They have removed your opportunity for sleep. That's right. That's right. They get their whole whole separate disorder, I guess. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So sure. and, and yeah, as you were saying that it also it's not better explained by some other circumstance like mental health or medication or something like that. So, yeah, good. We have our definition. We're clear on that now. Now what? Now we got to treat it. Now that you've oh. got insomnia, we have to fix it, right? So, and I okay. say fix loosely, right? You're gonna you're gonna engage in some strategies to help improve your sleep. So, the best thing to do is prevention. That's yeah. the, a lot of what they find is like preventing the occurrence and actually producing opportunities to sleep. So, I would like to take a second to refer to our episode "How to Ruin Your Sleep," right? Because we cover this at length about the <laughs> yes. things that you can do to prevent poor sleep habits to improve your sleep hygiene. And it, it all comes down to sleep hygiene. You limit naps, you restrict alcohol, you reduce your caffeine intake where you can avoid late night meals, limit screen time, follow consistent sleep patterns. Don't work in bed. That's right. Use your bed for two things. Yep. As a matter of fact, per the sleep foundation, they say you use your bedroom and your mattress for sleep and sex. That's it. And they specifically say no stimulating activities. Except for the one of them. Well, that, they, <laughs> nope. According to sleep foundation, no stimulating activities. So I don't know what kind of sex they're having at the sleep foundation, but (laughs) stimulationless sex, stimulationless sex, (laughs) nocturnal emissions only. (laughs) Okay. I heard real quick. I heard a, uh, uh, I was watching the Saturday night live skit and they were like, the characters were very like, it was called potato chips. It It was Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte. Okay. And Jason Sudeikis says something like, this is not how I expected this day to turn out. In my not so dry dreams, <laughs> and then he walked out of the office. <laughs> that's a that's a a really good line. <laughs> it, he says it like a like a southern like like Colonel Sanders. It's, sure, I'll send it to you when we're done. It's fantastic. That's great. I like it. <laughs> All right, perfect. So I think that they would even recommend that you, uh, if you have a different place that you can that you can use for sex, that you use the bed only for sleep. But they they generally accept that that's where that's taking place, particularly because one might follow the other in any particular order. But that's what the recommendations are. Okay, so let's turn <laughs> yeah. to once you have been diagnosed as having insomnia, there are other in- interventions. As we mentioned, good hygiene is going to be one of the first things they recommend. Like, you know, talking about if you have high blood pressure, like, yes, you can take medication to help your high blood pressure, but it'll also make it so much easier for you if you make a few lifestyle changes to make it so that like you can rule out other things that are going to cause high blood pressure for sure. Like if you never Mm -hmm. exercise, you eat too much salty food, you are under a lot of stress. If you can like change those things, then you might be on a lower dose of medication, for example, and maybe not have to take it as often. So again, the sleep hygiene thing, you to changes in routine to help improve your sleep patterns. As we mentioned, uh, dietary changes and daily routines are helpful, and that can be included as part of a more comprehensive package for treating insomnia. 
Yeah. So another thing that comes up in the literature a lot is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And and you'll hear, I feel like this is something we probably want to tackle at some point in time Yeah, is that today in our world, CBT is kind of this like ever present thing. It's like, just throw CBT at it and see what sticks. But I feel like at some point in time that was psychodynamics or in before that it was throw cocaine at it and see what sticks. (laughs) Right. Like, so that's, so like you have like this, like history of like these, like, theoretical orientations in these movements that show up in our field. And I think it's worth talking about at some point. So we should probably touch on that. So right now it seems like we're in a CBT world. We're in a CBT world. That's, that's where, yeah, the cure for everything is CBT right now. (laughs) Very many things. Yeah. So specifically though, they look at CBTI, which is a specific CBT process designed to treat insomnia. What they do is they usually target anxiety, but they target anxiety about sleep issues. They target education processes. They target stimulus control where they talk about like gaining different cues in the environment that are going to help cue sleep and like cue the onset of sleep, sleep restrictions, relaxation techniques. They, they do all of these things within CBTI, which is pretty cool. It is very cool. So another one is <laughs> uh, another one is sleeping pills. Medications can vary, but include things like benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, antihistamines, melatonin agonists, orexin receptor antagonists, and off-label or over-the-counter medications. I know a lot of people now that marijuana or cannabis, I think, is the maybe the more PC term for it, is becoming increasingly available across the United States and probably other countries. I haven't been following it very closely, but the use of CBD mm-hmm. or other cannabis derived products to aid in sleep is becoming increasingly common. And that the people who lovingly call themselves bud tenders will recommend <laughs> concoctions of various strains of cannabis to facilitate whatever kind of outcome you're looking for with respect to relaxation and sleep. Yeah. So anecdotally, I hear that it works pretty well. Yeah, I have heard that as well. Now, there are other homeopathic treatments for insomnia. My favorite thing about reading, and I keep referencing Insomnia by Stephen King because they spend so much time talking about his not sleeping and different like home remedies that have come up like, oh, you should suck on a honeycomb. And it's like stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, obviously, it's a work of fiction. Bury a worm under a rock under a full moon. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, it works, apparently. Now. There are a lot of home remedies and there are a lot of different homeopathic treatments, right? So you're looking at, uh, unfortunately, there's a little, there's very little evidence for this stuff. So it might just be anecdotal, but using sulfur or silicea or valerian root, chamomile, kava, acupuncture. We talked about cannabis. We've talked about hypnosis before. And all of these things are often recommended when somebody is not sleeping well. They're supposed to improve sleep. Yeah. But there's not really a lot of scientific evidence that supports that these these do these things. Some of the milder ones, you think like lavender in a in an oil diffuser, they may at least help you feel like they're helping you get to sleep. And so if if it's a placebo or it's real, if it works, then cool. That's relatively low stakes and relatively harmless. We did do an episode where we broke down how homeopathy worked when we were talking about homeopathy treatment for individuals with autism. Yeah. And how dangerous and predatory that that, that treatment can be. So it's it's one I tend to avoid throwing my money toward those group of people because they do some nefarious things. But most of them are going to be harmless. It's just also completely unre- unregulated, so they can kind of do anything, and uh, and that can end up being dangerous. But yeah, yeah, just something to to consider there. Yeah, it's kind of like the vitamin in the tea industry. Like I, I think the, probably the tea industry is a little bit more regulated than the vitamin industry. Yeah, at this point, in time. honestly, like legitimately, legitimately, yeah, yeah, like that's like a real thing. So. 
But yeah, I mean, like, there's probably some things that you could do, like some attempts that you can make that are pretty harmless that'll probably actually create some cues in your environment. But I would say if you can lean heavy into sleep hygiene, that will probably be a, a pretty good start to resolving sleep issues that you might have. Yeah, there's a lot of good science there. Yeah. Well, and and also the fact that like all of that has to do with, as we mentioned, s- sleep is a behavior and all the sleep hygiene things are behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so they, they kind of go together, right? Like you're doing the sleep things right. that are always associated with sleep. And therefore you, you are able to experience, at least help your experience of sleep. And maybe you do need some additional support by use of things like medication or, or psychotherapy or some kind of other therapeutic intervention to help with that. But if you at least change your behavior around it, you can show some amount of improvement in it, even if it's not complete. Yep, absolutely. So is there anything else you want to say about this before we get into some interesting tidbits about insomnia? There's already been so many interesting tidbits. It's It's hard for me to... To feel like we're making a, a, a very different transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're not. But it's worth talking about a couple of things that are not necessarily related to treatment and the actual disorder itself, right? So one thing that came up in my research was how long has somebody gone without sleep? And of course it was Randy Gardner. We knew. Call back. Call back. Friend of the show. But it wasn't due to insomnia. You know, it was because he made a choice and that choice was a very poor choice. Yeah. What episode was that from? That was from the How to Ruin Your Sleep episode. Oh, was it really? Yeah, we talked about that because he stayed up for like 11 days and then he was like mad the whole time and he had to play basketball to stay awake and then like it like caused like actual adverse physical health ailments in him. They like had him like smelling stuff to tell like what it smelled like and all kinds of things. Yeah. So that's that's the record. It wrecked his sleep to do that. So don't don't try to compete with that forever. Yeah. And it wasn't insomnia. It was a choice. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I'll be really clear about that. Yeah, he he chose to do that. I don't know why why anybody would, but that was a choice on his part. You might be wondering, but animals also can have insomnia. Mm -hmm. Canine insomnia is usually related to an undetected medical condition. So I guess in that case, it wouldn't technically be insomnia. It's more like that secondary insomnia, the one that's due to some specific factor rather than the primary insomnia where it, it could not be better explained by medical issue but but yes your animal might not be sleeping enough if they're having some medical issue that is keeping them awake yep absolutely so there's also something called fatal familial insomnia which is a genetic disease that actually prevents somebody from falling asleep but it's kind of a misnomer right because it's actually a reduction in brain function that stops some of the hormones and some of the releases that actually allow you to fall asleep but it's not always fatal Okay, that's the problem. It's not always fatal. So it's the reductions in the brain function. It's not the insomnia that kills you. It's the reductions in the brain function. It's the health issues that often result in death. And that's due to chronic lack of sleep. Like insomnia doesn't kill people. And I think that's what I'm trying to say here is insomnia itself doesn't kill people. The side effects and the results of insomnia are what make it a problem. I thought you were going to say people kill people. People kill people. <laughs> also, it's it's a very rare genetic disorder. So if you're like, oh God, I have fatal familial insomnia, you probably don't. I couldn't get numbers because the numbers were so low. It reminds me of that scene on Fight Club where he goes to see the doctor and he says, no, you can't die of insomnia. He has this like resigned tone to it. But <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was thinking of, though, is that this reminds me, we talked about this in our, our prion disease episode that we did for our Halloween spectacular month. Mm-hmm. I think it was our first time doing it. Yeah. Uh, doing Halloween themed episodes for the month of October. And we talked about the prion diseases and the fact that one of the effects that can happen with prion diseases, such as the Kretzfeld-Jakob disease, 
as the inability to sleep and so you end up staying awake for just days and days and just oof, that sounds terrible yeah no thanks another interesting tidbit here is that untreated insomnia presents a unique risk for alcohol and substance abuse yeah so you'll see people who are suffering from insomnia more likely try to seek those types of treatments and you'll see a high rate of substance abuse and alcohol abuse within folks who are suffering from insomnia so they're like oh, i can't get to sleep i guess heroin doesn't sound so bad after all yeah pretty much because I, I would rather do anything than than stay awake right now is what ends up happening. Does Dare know that insomnia is a gateway drug? Somebody brought up Dare the other day, and I'm so glad you brought it up because it was so weird. A stranger would show up at your school, tell you about all the cool things drugs did, t- tell you where to get them, and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty much like they were like, drugs are bad. What does heroin do? It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. And like, and what does cocaine do? It makes you like all alert. And like, it's like, you're like, what? Like, this is, and this sounds, I, these don't sound like bad things. You can get them from your friends. What? Don't do them. Bye. I moved a bunch when I was in middle school. And just because they did dare at different grades, I had it like three years in a row. And I was the only one of my siblings to ever get like really into any one substance, which was cannabis for like a year in high school, Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And like they only ever had it once or it's one of them, even not at all. Uh-huh. But I remember one time the last year that I had it where they, they brought in this suitcase just full of drugs and, <laughs> and they were like, they literally show you. And I think they even passed some of them around the room. I was like, better hope that doesn't disappear. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so I remember when they opened the suitcase, one of the kids turns around, and he's like, party. Because, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I mean, that. it's I like, love that so much. yeah, uh, we should maybe even do a whole thing on dare because this is like it is one. It is a not evidence based program. And I actually saw them recently outside of a, a store that I had to had to be frequenting. And it reminded me, I'm like, man, I can't believe this program is even still around. Like the, the science, I think, is pretty clear at this point. So it'd be an interesting one to tackle. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It, it would be really, really interesting to dig into. So anyway. Yeah, we started talking about there. insomnia. We ended up talking about dare. <laughs> what a strange turn of events. You know, it's par for the course for why we do what we do, but <laughs> where we find ourselves, I guess. Tangential, my friends. Tangential. I like it. So we want to leave you with something. You probably tuned out here and there while you were listening to us talk about, you know, random things that we talk about, which is, it's okay. You know, it's the nature of podcasts, but (laughs) I want you to remember this, that insomnia is not never sleeping. (laughs) I know it's a double negative, but yeah, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that you just don't get any sleep. Right. Instead, what it means is that you have highly disrupted sleep. I think if you, if you take away that from this episode, then hopefully that is news to you and you learn something new. And another thing, too, that I think is a really important thing is that it's treatable. And most of the time, insomnia is treatable due to some kind of environmental event. Like a lot of it is like some it's explainable. So like when you have insomnia, or you're suffering from ins- insomnia. It's most of the time explainable by some other factor, which are factors that can be manipulated as part of treatment. If you're having anxiety, you can go get CBT for it. If you have poor sleep hygiene, you can alter your sleep hygiene. And that's the beauty of this. It's like, I think people assume that when you get insomnia, you have it forever. And that's not the case. It's like you get insomnia because of environmental circumstances and you could treat it using environmental changes. That's like one of the most beautiful, like in, I guess to me, one of the most important take home points, because people are so afraid to get insomnia. It's like hiccups. Yeah. People are afraid to get hiccups. That primary insomnia, like this, it is it like it's a psychological thing, you know, and that's why I think it fits so nicely in this podcast. Unlike some of the topics we try and make work here, but um, (laughs) is 
it, that primary insomnia, it means that specifically because of something going on sort of with you mentally and cognitively, mm-hmm. whereas that secondary insomnia, that's where you have other factors and why other animals can experience insomnia and animals don't seem to experience to the best of our knowledge, at least they don't seem to experience a primary insomnia because animals don't have the, the languaging benefits and drawbacks that we have to make mountains out of molehills, right. You know, to, to suffer from things that aren't present. And so I guess the, the point here being that primary insomnia is this issue where we can do something about it because sleep is behavior. Sleep hygiene is behavior therapy and behavior change will probably account for a lot of what will help address insomnia. The other stuff that's left over might have to do with a little bit medication or pain or other issues. And then that would no longer be that primary insomnia. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap it up better myself. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly it. It's like, it's treatable. Cool. And you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We hope. So we hope hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe we put you to sleep. And if, if our voices are capable of doing that, then great. I feel like, um, when I've taught, I've helped put my students to sleep sometimes. So I definitely have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. You use mm-hmm. this as a sleep aid. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're your white noise machine. Yeah. We <laughs> literally, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that just what every podcast is these days just like a bunch of white dudes at least you screaming know into a a mic, so it is white noise yeah we can call that white noise it's great so do you have any other take-home points no i actually think that that wraps it up okay so do you want to do recommendations yeah man recommendations so my recommendation is an album because I recently got to see this band play and they're, they've been a band that's been um, important for me for probably close to 20 years now, which is crazy. They've been a band for 20 years. That's a weird sentence to be able to say at all. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very strange. And that band is called Rise Against and they have a new album out that was recorded this year called Nowhere Generation. Ooh. Yeah. If you are a Rise Against fan, then you will not be disappointed because this is consistently a Rise Against record. <laughs> they are probably and arguably one of the most consistently sounding bands who has ever lived lovely. Like when you pick up a rise against record, you're like, this is clearly rise against, but the new one is good. I've enjoyed it so far. And just like all their other records it's produced by Bill Stevenson, who is a drummer from descendants. Cool. I just really enjoy it. Like it's just a nice, good listen. The name broke. Don't fix it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of these bands that end up staying around for a long time, I feel like they do get locked in with a producer. That's just like really grooves with what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah. Between the Baron and me is the same way. Jamie King has been their producer for so many albums. I don't even know almost all of them. <laughs> so yeah, it works, right? Yeah. If it works, it works. Why, why, yeah. Why change it up? Yeah. Don't, don't mess with something that's working. Yeah. Keep exactly. it coming. And rise against is great. I did not know that they put out this album, so I'm really excited to check it out now. So thank you. I got something out of this. Yes. I love it. All right. Before we hit record, we were talking about graphic novels because reasons, I don't know how we got on that topic, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it reminded me of a graphic novel that I've read because I haven't read very many. You've read a lot more than I have, and I got turned on to this because of the movie, but the graphic novels for Kick-Ass were so good, and I read the original three, plus there was like a prequel, and apparently there's like a whole spinoff of, of these mm-hmm. that I have not read, but the original three plus the prequel I did read, and they were so awesome, so I would highly recommend checking these out when and so as i said i'm not really a graphic novel reading kind of guy but after i read these i was like man is this a world i've just been missing is like this incredible storytelling with amazing characters so much fun 
So that's my recommendation is the kick-ass graphic novels by Mark Millar. I think it's an art form that doesn't get enough like people taking it seriously. And it's beautiful. Like, I mean, you have like you have to be a great writer, but you also have to like enlist artists to share your vision. And there's a lot of bad ones out there. Don't get me wrong. There's probably more bad ones than good ones. But the good ones are so good. Yeah. And so, I mean, just like, oh God, they're so good. I can't like, I, uh, before we started, I told, uh, I told Abraham that I would be his graphic novel Sherpa. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yep. He wants, he wants to guide me through this world, which I, I think is going to be worth it. I think, you know, but if you're, if your entry into graphic novels is something like kick-ass, I think that you'll enjoy it. I, I will warn that these are hyper-violent. These are rated R if that was a thing that applied to novels, which it should never be. But these are these are violent. They're a lot of swearing, a lot of adult themes, a lot of things like that. So maybe not for everybody. Be warned, I guess, that they're there. But if you're if you're into if you're okay with gore and violence and karate and I guess kid exploitation, because the characters <laughs> in this are fairly young, at least to begin with. Yeah. Then you'll enjoy these, I think. Yeah. I mean, and if you need like a more PG like entry, go read Fables. That's a good place to start. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, everything I've read has always been the the more adult version of things. I mean, not like it's I, not it's not. I mean, sex. I mean, it's just the violent stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, arguably, fables is just like all the story tales, like all the fairy tale stories, but like in New York. Oh, that's so right. It's just you mentioned this. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. we did talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I also read like Watchmen and stuff like that. Those are also oh, pr- Watchmen is so good. Yeah, Watchmen is great because bonus Watchmen recommend there. So good. All right, cool. Well, uh, do you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Okay. I'm ready to go sleep. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you have insomnia or you're ready to go to sleep or we put you to sleep, we'd like to hear from you. You should reach out to us at info at www.podcast.com. That is our email address. You can also reach us on all of the social media platforms. Uh, we're definitely pretty active on Instagram, Facebook. We're trying to get active on Twitter, but we've got some weird stuff going on. We'll get that figured out, but you can reach us there too. You can always visit our website, www.wwdpodcast.com to find out more about this episode and other topics. You can also tell us topics you'd like to hear, or you can just say hi. That's perfectly okay as well. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com, find us there. And we have all these cool benefits for as little as a dollar a month. And then up about as high as you want to you want to pay. But the more that you decide to support us, the more bonus, beneficial, awesome things that you'll get. But if you at least join us for a dollar a month, then I'm gonna I'm gonna say your name on this on this episode or on these podcast episodes to uh, let everyone know how awesome I think you are. And that includes Amanda, Justine, Layla, Megan, Mike M, Mike T, and Shauna, who have been supporters of ours. So thank you so much for your continued support of us and helping us do this good work that we do. So I think that's it. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.